Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Just fantastic. As always. Yes, coming to you live from my dad's house. Always fun. Always fun. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, you got to do dad stuff and uh, clean up the house. And uh, you also have to record a podcast. So here you are. And here you are, dear listeners. We are uh, once again uh, unto the fray uh, with... Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. And today we're discussing season one, episode two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, entitled Children of the Comet. Woo! Woo! Comet children. Um, yes, there are comet children. Today's star date is star date 42051362. And uh, before we get into this episode, this brand new franchise, first, we got to do a little talking about our Patreon. Yep, we have one. That's uh, that's something. So uh, do do join us to be a patron. And we do lots of fun things. We have watch parties. We have Zoom hangs. Um, you get early access to all of the episodes, video and audio. What more? Could you ask for from two Star Trek nerds such as ourselves? Just head over to patreon.com forward slash set phasers. That's patreon.com forward slash set phasers. Yes, indeed. And you can have a wonderful time with us doing wonderful things. Now, I think it's time to run this episode down. It's time to run it down. Can you run it down for me? What just happened? Can you run it down for me? Oh, yes. We begin on the dusty planet of Persephone 3. Uh, the Enterprise is there to uh, observe a comet, the comet 9C2260-Quinton. And uh, it's a, a personal log from Cadet Uhura, uh, who is not doing any of the observing or anything like that. She's just doing busy work, crew rotations, and so on and so forth on the ship. But the big news is that she's been invited to the captain's table to enjoy a dinner with the, the executive staff. And uh, Ortegas has told her this would be a good opportunity for her to dress up in her, her you know, formal uniform and come dressed ready for, uh, you know, Federation regulation conversation. Yeah, I said it. And uh, she steps off of the turbo lift to find that Ortegas is dressed, completely dressed down. And that this is a hazing ritual for young, I guess, cadets or ensigns. Uh, so she'll be the only one at the party dressed in her formal uniform. Uh, the dinner is not just command crew. It's, you know, bridge crew plus uh, the nurse will be there and the engineer will be there. Just Pike likes to mix it up with people on the ship, find out how things are really going. 
Uhura is worried because uh, her father told her that she's unburdened by conversational boundaries. But uh, she walks in and, uh, you know, she immediately makes some friends and some strange enemies. We meet Hammer, the new chief engineer, who is an Enar. Uh, uh, he is, I suppose he's supposed to be blind because Uhura says that he's impaired, but he doesn't think of it as an impairment. He believes that his other senses not only make up for it, but exceed uh, the need for it. And Uhura mentions that Enar supposedly have some sort of precognitive ability, and Hammer knew she would ask, not because of his precognitive ability, but because everyone asks about it. Uh, and Uhura learns that Hammer and Spock are sort of, uh, once again, sort of hazing her. So she speaks both in Enar and Vulcan, telling them to basically get a life. Uh, dinner happens. Pike is telling an anecdote about uh, when I guess he was like probably an ensign or something like that and was on security and was chasing a Noskin and tripped over their pants. And everyone laughs at this story and Spock doesn't understand why he would laugh at other people's misfortunes. And Pike says, you know, Spock, sometimes things go so terribly wrong that you just gotta laugh. Meanwhile, Uhura's uh, refilling her drink and sings a song from her village in Kenya, <clears throat> which Pike has, you know, Pike has visited that area. And so they have a conversation and we learn that Uhura speaks not 12 languages, but 37 languages and 22 of them are from Earth. She had to learn just to speak to people, but that's the kind of brilliant mind that she is. The captain asks Uhura, what do you think you're going to be doing in 10 years? And Uhura says, well, I don't know that I'm all that Starfleet, you know? Uh, I always wanted to study languages, but I was going to go to university in Nairobi. Then her parents were killed, and her brother, in a shuttle accident. And so she couldn't, uh, she couldn't go to campus, because that's where they taught. And so she moved in with her grandmother, and her grandmother had been in Starfleet when she was young. And so Uhura basically went to Starfleet to have something to do. Uh, later on, Uhura and Spock are walking and talking, and she's worried that maybe she didn't make the greatest impression. And Spock says, no, no, the captain appreciates honesty, but uh, listen, if, you know, a lot of people want to be in the Federation, and if you're not really thinking about being Starfleet, maybe, you know, get off the proverbial pot. Afterwards, Pike and Una are cleaning up, and uh, they're talking about Pike's whole vision, because when he asks uh, Uhura where she thinks she'll be in 10 years, he does stumble over it, because we all know uh, Pike has seen his own death but 10 years hence for himself. Uh, but Una thinks uh, maybe it's not all written, it's not all foretold, and maybe there's another way, even though Pike is trying to think he, he's, you know, made his his peace with it. And he knows even the, the names of the cadets whom he saves in his last act of sacrifice. Just as they're contemplating this, a call to the bridge, because there's something about the comet. What about the comet? Well, the comet will be striking the planet in two days. And so there will be no survivors if that happens. It'll be a catastrophic extinction-level event. And Persephone 3 has a pre-warp species on it called the Deleb, uh, and they they won't be able to move the, the comet on their own. So Una suggests moving the comet for the Deleb. Spock suggests using ion engines. And uh, I think Laon is the one who suggests retrofitting photon torpedoes as launch torpedoes. Hammer will have to do the retrofitting. And Pike whispers, God, I love this job. Torpedoes are fired. All seems well. But then we realize the comet has a force field. What? Yes, something is up with this weird comet. The Enterprise tries hailing it. There's no life, but there is some sort of structure underneath, like some sort of subterranean structure. They have a meeting. They bring in Sam Kirk. Remember who we met? Mr. Mustache. 
who's the xenoanthropologist on the ship to help figure things out. You're wondering, is it a derelict spacecraft? Uh, yeah, but maybe they need to go there and check it out, see what's going on. Apparently the shielding around it is not constant. They would be able to transport down. So La'an, Spock, uh, Sam, Kirk, and Uhura will be the away team. This is gonna be Uhura's first away mission. Uh, Nurse Chapel uh, gives the away team injections to protect them against the powerful cosmic rays. Otherwise, after like an hour, their insides will turn into jelly. And Chapel has a little bit of a flirtatious interaction with Spock. Obviously, uh, completely one-sided. Uh, when they get there, they they know that the gravity will be 1G. Mr. Mr. Kyle, the engineer, energizes them. They arrive on the planet. They reach a chamber with breathable atmosphere and a big floating oblong thing that Kirk calls an egg. And he wonders, are those there's symbols? There's like etchings all over it. And he wonders, well, these etchings, are they linguistic? And he asks her, and her's like, I don't know, I'm a cadet, man. You want me to answer these things? And he's like, yeah, yeah, get in there. The markings apparently repeat in a sequence but um, it's not necessarily clear that it's a language. Uh, so Kirk, bold as only your Kirk can be, steps up onto the platform, things lights up. He's like, oh sweet, it's lighting up. He goes to touch the egg, energy builds up. He gets blasted unconscious, his heart stops. Kyle is unable, uh, the, uh, Kyle the engineer, last name Kyle, not first name Kyle, that's confusing for those of us who are named Kyle, uh, tries to energize, can't get them out because the shield, the field goes back up. Spock is able to defibrillate Kirk, but not able to bring him back around, and they are cut off from the ship. And remember, they only have a little bit amount of time before their insides turn to jelly, and also Kirk is not in a good way. Spock impresses upon Uhura that she may be the only way they can get off this thing. Meanwhile, on the planet, the Deleb look up and they see the comet and its fiery trail in the sky. On the Enterprise, Pike wants ideas. Uh, Ortega suggests using phaser harmonics to shatter the shield. Pike digs it. They go for that. Meanwhile, Uhura is working to decipher the egg. Uh, there's a little bit of a conversation there where Pike, uh, where, excuse me, Spock and Uhura are talking and Spock uh, continues to uh, sort of not understand uh, human dynamics when Uhura brings up that chapel and he was flirting earlier. And it's fine. Enterprise tries to fire their phasers. And then they get fired upon by a strange ship that comes out of nowhere, a ship with wheelie things on the back of it and a pointy thing in the front. Uh, these are the shepherds. The uh, they, uh, they, they say that this, this comet is not merely a comet. It's a Mahanit, Mahanit, am I saying that right? Mahanit, it's the Mahanit. Uh, not a comet, but an arbiter of life, according to them. And the Enterprise, should they tamper with it again, the Shepherds will destroy them! Uh, so they scan the Shepherd ship for weapons. It's way more advanced than the Enterprise. And Pike tries to explain that moving the Comet to save the Deleb people. And the Shepherds are like, don't worry about the Comet. It's not just the Comet, it's the Mahanit. And its course is preordained. And if it chooses to destroy this whole planet, that's what it chooses to do. We have been shepherding this thing for, eight, for years, for centuries across the galaxy. And uh, so they knowing that they can't fight the shepherd ship, they decide to buy t time for the away team. And Pike tells the shepherds about the Federation and the shepherds believe that if uh, the shepherds reveal that they know that the away team is down there and that that is a desecration of the Mahanit and any attempt to rescue them will be considered an act of war. Meanwhile, Hora is working and humming to herself 
And while Spock believes that this humming is an indication of distress, he tries to give her a pep talk, doesn't really work, has to give her another pep talk, that one works a little bit better. And then Spock notices that the cave and all the stones around them and even the egg are reacting to Uhura's voice. And Uhura realizes that the cave is responding to music. Meanwhile, number one picks up a message coming from the comet itself. It's Uhura's song that she was singing at dinner just the other day or earlier, whenever that was. They realize that the comet is responding to different pitches in different ways. Uh, they use the math of overtones to decipher the messages on the egg. Uh, they realize that the code is a major third. Spock and uh, and Uhura are able to sing a message to the egg, I guess. It's a very pleasing little ditty. Uh, and the egg responds by opening and revealing something within inside of it, playing some dissonant frequencies and then stops. Uhura matches that music with her voice. The force field drops, and the away team is able to beam out. Enterprise goes to red alert. They are hailed by the shepherds, who are angry, and send torpedoes. Torpedoes beat the hell out of the Enterprise, down to 50% shields. They had to do evasive maneuvers. Shepherds are pursuing. Laan suggests retreat. Pike asks for phasers. He hits their weapons and propulsion. It's a direct hit. They move off, but they only have like a minute. Uh, Spock suggests getting the comet to move itself if the shepherds, if they don't want to get the shepherds upset. Pike asks Ortega to get them in front of the comet. Ortega, who uh, apparently in Academy bragged that they wanted to be the greatest pilot ever, has their own evasive pattern, Ortega's Gamma 1. They fly into the tail of the comet, which means the shepherds can't fire on them without firing on the comet. Uh, they're hailing the Enterprise. Pike waits. They do a full stop right in front of it. They do a system shutdown except for life support. Pike tries to fool the shepherds into thinking that the hits have destroyed all their systems except for life support and that they need help. This convinces the shepherds uh, to help them because otherwise the the Enterprise exploding or crashing into the comet would be even more of a desecration. Uh, the shepherds activate a tractor beam. Meanwhile, Spock is hiding in a shuttle. He flies near the nucleus of the comet, activates shields to radiate heat. This causes the ice to sublimate. Those of us who uh, are super into physics know the sublimation is when a a, a an object goes from one state of matter uh, into another state of matter, skipping the one in between. So the ice turning straight into vapor. And uh, that causes the rocks to blast and the heat expanding, causes the comet to kick off course. We lose Spock for a few seconds and then he comes back on comms, laughing and repeating what he heard at dinner earlier. That sometimes things go so terribly, you just gotta laugh. The comet misses Persephone 3. However, a bunch of the water vapor from the comet enters the planet's atmosphere, which changes this formerly dusty planet perhaps forever and encouraging life uh, and and uh, civilization. The shepherds hail uh, the Enterprise. They tell Pike, hey, man, now you've seen the glory of Mahanit, and thus we shall not part as enemies. It rains on Persephone 3. Uh, they see the life-giving comet overhead once more. Pike has to wonder about who made the comet, how many more are out there? Was it a coincidence? Uh, Uhura, meanwhile, is able to translate the music of the Mahanit, and it's a star chart. Star, star charts. Star charts. It's a star chart. And it's a star chart showing that the comet was never intending to hit the planet at all. It was always going to drop water vapor into the atmosphere to give life, as the Mahanit uh, is supposedly has done for centuries. However, they, they, that message was sent before Spock went on his desperate mission to sublimate all the ice to knock it off course. So somehow the comet knew that Spock was going to, in the future, knock them just off course enough to give life-giving water to the planet of Persephone 5, knowing perhaps it's fate. Oh, 
Interesting. Uh, as they leave that meeting, Spock speaks to Uhura and he says, listen, I know what I said before and I told you about the people who want to be in Starfleet and maybe you should get out of the way, but I will tell you this. Having seen your actions aboard the Comet, I believe that Starfleet would be fortunate to have an officer like you. And Pike and number one, having a drink at the end of the day, and Una points out, hey, you know, that Comet knew its history, but uh, knew its future, but that didn't mean that it knew exactly what the future was and maybe that's the same thing for you. Pike... Again, feeling he has accepted his fate, but Una says, hey, the message that was given to you may be a kind of future that exists, but perhaps there's something you can do about it. Uh, that his fate could be what he makes it. And in the final scene, Pike asks the computer to give him information on the cadets that he will save, who now are only children. And the year endeth, episode two, season one, of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, entitled Children of the Comet. Well, let's chat about that. Let's do... I say, darling, let's do a quick chat about that. Yes, yes, let's do. Thoughts, Bermise? I have many thoughts. Uh, I don't know that they're in order. First, the least important, perhaps, Sam Kirk is a dummy. Yes, he is. Uh, He's a dummy with a mustache. But hey, you know, he's excited for adventure. I guess that runs in the Kirk family maybe hmm. just being like cowboy go ahead touch the weird egg floating in space on the living meteor that you're riding given that he's a xenophimist because mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't pronounce what it, what it is but he is that's that's a, that's a stupid move yeah for I sure mean, he gets up there it starts lighting up and he's like oh snap Yahtzee or whatever he says Jenga yes Yahtzee you're right I almost had a thought there that he would be the first red shirt moment. I would, that would have been a bold move. <laughs> if they introduced <laughs> him at the end of episode one and then kill him in the middle of episode two. This is uh, this idiot Kirk's brother. But no, sadly, for, sadly, I mean, for canon purposes, they can't or they couldn't. Yes, right. It's also, it's a nice way to show that uh, perhaps it is a Kirk, the family of the Kirk feature to sort of just want to go and touch things and really throw caution into the wind. Uh, Also, his mustache. Uh, Secondly, all is not lost for Pike. Can he change his future? Who knows? Perhaps this is what we will spend the season thinking about. Well, these kids are like eight years old right now or like Mm ten years old because in ten years they're cadets or whatever. So I'm just wondering, I mean, maybe he'll try to find something about them that, but how will, I just don't know. It'll be, it's interesting. Did we know enough about why he, like the event in which he dies in 10 years, eight, nine years? Uh, We know that he's like saving the cadets. And so he like, something happens where he puts down blast doors and he takes a huge amount of radiation and is disfigured and possibly like horribly injured for the rest of his life. I don't know that he actually dies, though, because he looks into his own eyes. You know, he, like, sees himself, but it's like a death of a certain kind of living, I guess. He's in, like, a pod. I think maybe uh, he... I feel like he must have died eventually from radiation poisoning. You would think. After yeah. his fe- face melted off. Sure. Your face melts off, you're probably going to die of radiation poisoning. That's a safe guess. Mm. I don't know. So, hopefully... I mean, that's an interesting question. But it's like so far in the future for, you know, a Star Trek series. Unless they're going to be like four years later, you know. 
That's true, because this is a five-year continuing mission, not ten. Right, so he's five years, and then he just gets kicked back, relax, right? Unless he takes another five-year mission and the crew changes over, and that's how they connect all the dots. I don't know. Because he won't be on Enterprise at that point, surely, because Kirk will have taken over the Enterprise. Will he have? Will he have? I don't know. Maybe not. I feel like Kirk, uh, and every time they've sort of dealt with Pike, Kirk takes over the Enterprise, like, not... Uh, not in like a sort of easy, legitimate, like uh, Pike retires and Kirk takes over. It's always like in the movies and in the various timelines, it's always like something happens to Pike or Kirk has to take over, you know? So we'll see if that's, if there's going to be some cat. But it's not, it's interesting to know that uh, this, I, I wasn't sure that it was 10 years in the future when we first started. So I wasn't sure how long we would get with Pike, but potentially a full mission at least. Mm-hmm. Right. Because his, his fate isn't quite in 10 years' time. It's, it's either 8 and a bit or it's 9. So it's not quite 10. Because there were some fans being nerds going, it's not 10 years more. But he does say right. almost a decade. I mean, listen, is he going to walk around being like, I'm going to die in 9 years and 6 months to people? No, he's going to say 10 years. Uh, but sure, you know, for the sake of canon, people can plot it out uh, according to Federation standard months. Uh, and then I guess my final thing is, uh, oh no, two final things. One, these arbiters are weird. That's a good question. Does that thing know a thing? And the egg, they didn't even explore what was in the egg. They just went home. No. Was it like what a, was in, there was, it was just the door opens in the egg. I was I hoping was for more weird, of an egg thing. Like weird fossils in it or something, I thought. I didn't Am see I anything. I just that? saw like the egg open. Yeah, it opens up like flower petals. Yeah, so I don't know. It's It's a weird question. Is this like the crystalline entity? Was the egg an Easter egg? No, was it? I'm trying to think of a of a TOS episode that had something like that, but I, nothing is coming up. And you know what? These guys dig so deep. These nerds over there. It's paramount that it could be like animated series B plotline. Not to think about that. Uh, and then finally. Uhura deciding whether or not to be Star. We know that she will be Starfleet. Yeah. But it's interesting that they decide she's going to be sort of undecided as a cadet. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to play with. And right. are we still working on under the premise that she and Spock will end up together? Uh, or is that that's a good just question. In... Obviously, her teasing Spock about Chapel is interesting. Well, that's an Easter egg because... Why was that an Easter egg? I think Nurse Chapel was quite flirty with Spock in TOS. Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, so that that totally makes sense, but I think that Uhura clocked it so hard. They like really mm-hmm. make a point of her clocking Chapel flirting with Spock. I don't know. It's possible they wind up together, but right now there's such a, a uh, as she's a cadet and he's like a lieutenant, it doesn't seem like it would be at all proper. Is that just Kelvin timeline? Well, yes. Uh, Kelvin timeline is the only one where they're like together, together, mm-hmm. but they're also like the same age in Kelvin timeline. This is, you know, or not the same age. Spock is always Spock. It's hard to know because Vulcans live to be 300 years old, whatever. But certainly in the Kelvin timeline, they're dating by the time Kirk comes into the picture. Who knows? There's a lot of options here. We shall see. We shall see. And that's all I got. I wonder who the next focus will be for episode three. Well, we got. La'an's backstory. We mm. got uh, we got Ahura's backstory, basically. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, Ortega's? I assume they're going to save number one for like later. Yeah. Do you think we'll get more of the new newbies? I'm wondering about Ortega's or Hammer, since we only got like a glance of Hammer this time. Yeah. Did but, you know he is the first legally blind actor to appear on Star Trek? I did not know that. There you are. Well, there you are. Fun facts. Fun facts. Oh, man, we need a fun facts theme song. Just facts. Well, <laughs> not necessarily Easter egg. Just fun. Just facts. Fun, fun facts. facts. Well, whenever you're ready and available to make that, that would be great. Thanks. Fun uh, facts. Uh, let's go to quotable moments, I think. <laughs> Was that it? Quotable moments. Oh, quotable moments. Quotable moments. Well, you know, I wrote down the super long ones as I want to do. I Have had you any? A short. I, I didn't pick up on too many. I think I was too busy trying to do some Easter eggs, but I had one from La'an, which is, what's the light show? Is it good? That was pretty sweet. Very La'an. Very, very yeah. security officer-esque. Uh, just concerned about the perimeter and if anyone's there and what are you weirdos doing? Not willing to sing. I skipped <laughs> uh, music class. To save their lives. I skipped music class. Actually, is... we didn't talk about that in Let's Chat About This, but it was all music. I was I watched that and thought, oh, Aki's going to have fun with this. I had a blast. You Language as music, as math as music? Mm-hmm. Well, really enjoy <laughs> They even, they tried to quickly explain the Overtone series, which I think was probably went over most people's heads, like, why would anyone know that? But I enjoyed it. Enjoyed the heck out of that. Uh, I liked... Uh, Shepherd saying, uh, the shepherd. So I just called that dude Shepherd because we didn't never got a name for the shepherd's captain person. You know what I mean? Whatever. He says, Then, uh, are you a reasonable man? He asks, and he says, Then please entertain that the Mahanit is not, as you continue to call it, a comet. It is an instrument, an ancient arbiter, one of the few remaining in the galaxy. If it is his will to move, he will move. And if it is his will to bring life, he will bring life. If Mahanit wills the planet to die, even chooses to die with it, then that is what will happen. As I said, it is pre-ordained. Yeah. And they were calling them like creepy space monks the whole time because they're sort of fanatical space monks who believe in Mahanit. Uh, oh, and also, I guess I really enjoyed Spock's attempt, his first attempt at a pep talk. And he says, your humming suggests that you may be experiencing distress. May I remind you that circumstances are less dire than they were. Mr. Kirk identified one error you can avoid. By eliminating the option, he has improved your odds. And Uruhura says, was that actually your version of a pep talk? And Spock says, yes, I have been working on that. Oh, yeah, that was cute. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was a cute moment for Pike uh, when they come up with the harmonics and Pike is getting a little bit more into his vibe, more fun and less brooding. And he says, I like this plan. This is a good plan. I just yeah. thought it was good. He's getting fun. I like it. Oh yeah, so we I gotta concur. save the world before breakfast. Mm-hmm. Hang on a second. Do you think it's time for Easter eggs? Oh, it's time for Easter eggs. 
Good morning, San Francisco. This is Akimurmi Sad. We're going directly to the Easter egg desk with Stevie Mad Stevie. Well, hi there, Aki. Happy to be here. Coming to you live from San Francisco with the Star Trek uh, 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 Starfleet HQ, naturally. Sure, that's why I said San Francisco, I think. You did. I think that's what we were doing. Um, I so I got a couple of Easter eggs from you, uh, some some fun ones, some deep cuts, as we, as we always like to do here. So, Persephone. In ancient, Greek mythology, in ancient Greek mythology, Persephone was the goddess of the under, underworld and therefore the dead, but she was also the goddess of fertility. Mm, egg. Um, and because the comet... Egg. Egg. <laughs> Easter egg. Because the comet both threatens certain death and is eventually revealed to be helping the planet have better, more fertile soil. Almost everything you need to know about the episode's in the name. Um, and also, curiously, Persephone was the name of one of Adam Sung's genetic daughters yes. who died before Kore um, in the recently concluded season of uh, Star Trek Picard. Indeed. Fun fact. Um, you'll get, you're going to love Fun this. The Anar. Fun fact. The Anar. Um, this is interesting. So the Anar are the only uh, species that appeared in Enterprise that were never in another Star Trek series. Mm -hmm. So yeah. this is essentially, you know, now them being um, an alien regular, if you like, on a subsequent Star Trek series. Fantastic. Thought you'd like that fun fact. I think it, the, oh dear, someone's having a coughing fit behind me. The other fun, f It's like a, this is like an Austin Powers bit. That was what I was thinking of. <laughs> the other fun fact about the Anar was that they were the outcasts of the Andorians, but mm. now, 100 years later, it seems they're now fully integrated into the Federation. Yeah, there was a whole mm. thing on Enterprise about it. I love whole it. thing. That's quite fun. Love it. Um, Sam Kirk, interestingly, uh, has a more famous brother, as we know, and Spock has a well, somewhat less famous sibling, mm -hmm. but the pair of them, Sam Kirk and Michael Burnham, are both xenoanthropologists. Quite. Yeah, you said yeah. it, xenoanthropology. I could just couldn't remember it before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, two more. There's a, the wonky universal translator. The only time I think that, that the translator was ever questioned, as in, is that really what they were saying, was mm -hmm. Darmok in TNG. I think that was right. season five. Mm -hmm. Possibly. And lastly, the Saurian brandy in Pike's Quarters. Uh, that was a nice little throwback to TOS. Um, the shape of the bottle is identical to all Saurian brandy we've seen throughout Trek, starting with TOS, The Enemy Within. Um, it's easily one of the most famous Star Trek boozes. And that's Booze. what we believe Pike is sipping on in the final scene of the episode. Now, isn't it interesting that Pike... He likes to close out his day with a little Saurian brandy. It seems like every end of the end of his shift, he's like, "Let me get a real drink, not synthol." It's like numbing, gonna numb yeah. this shit. Well, you know, as he sits there contemplating what he would do with his life, because uh, I can't think of any other captain who consistently like imbibed alcohol. Mm. The rest of them are all like tea, coffee, racchino, uh, and I can't remember what. Archer likes was water polo, so, so it's probably a cheese. Yes. Oh, Porthos 
couldn't have cheese. So what did I forget? Whatever. Hmm. Well, well, that's it for the Easter eggs here at Starfre- Starfleet HQ. Back to you in the studio. Thank you very much. Back to us here in the studio in San Francisco. Just repeating that so I remember it. So it sounds like I did it on purpose. Let's go to next time. Next time on Set Phasers. Next time on Set Phasers, we're talking about episode three of season one of Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds. I found the title of it. It's called Ghosts of Illyria. Uh, Ghosts of Illyria. Ghosts of Illyria. I didn't look up Illyria, but maybe that is a clue as to the point of the episode. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. You can get our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We put them out every Monday um, as long as we are on time with things. Yes, sort of. Nearly there. Uh Feel free to follow us on all of the rel- usual regular social medias, Set Phasers Podcast and Set Phasers. You can, of course, also join us on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Set Phasers. Yes, indeed. Uh, all those socials are Set Phasers Podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Yes. And uh, I don't know. Hey, you know, send us a message. Let us know how you feel. It could be nice. Yeah. We would send you a signed autographed postcard if we had any. We have tons. Uh, we just need to mail them to you. Mm. That's the royal that. we. It's <laughs> the Aki one, we. Let us know. Indeed, the royal we. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's it from us. I am Stevie Mans. And I'm pretty good at pep talks. You can do it. I believe in you. And this Aww. has been Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Thanks, Aki. Computer. End program. Mm-hmm.